Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman and I am your host. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a fully qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry, and walk through their story of how they've gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to reiterate my main goal, which is to impact over 1 million people by helping them reach a next level. So if you've not done this already, please take the time to subscribe to Next Level Minds on Apple Podcast. Share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague. And if you're really feeling special, make a review of Next Level Minds on Apple Podcasts. Let me know what you think. Other than that, on to today's guest, I am sitting down with Zach Friedman, who is the best-selling author of the blockbuster book, The Lemonade Life, which Apple named one of fall's biggest audiobooks and a must listen. Other than that, Zach is the founder and CEO of Make Lemonade, which is a leading personal finance comparison website that really empowers you to live your best financial life. Zach also posts a ton of positive, engaging, inspirational content on LinkedIn. So I'm super pumped to sit down with him today, really hear his story, hear more about his book, and really hear how to reach a next level. Other than that, as we like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Well, uh, Zach, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, be on the Next Level Minds podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Yeah, no, most definitely. How's the uh, day treating you so far? Good, good. Everything's good. Yep. Well, well. before we, we really dive into some questions, um, I know you have a lot going on with just your work life and your book. So I wanted you to just take a moment and just uh, highlight some things that you're doing and just some things you're excited about going into the new year for the listeners. Yeah, so a lot going on. Um, you know, for way of background, uh, I've written a best-selling book called The Lemonade Life, um, which uh, I've been very blessed with readers around the world who are being inspired by it. Um, so we'll definitely talk about that today, uh, as as I know you want to delve into, um, and also being a, a CEO of of a company called Make Lemonade, which is an online personal finance company, um, and then also writing uh, a column for Forbes. So staying busy, indeed. Uh, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully looking forward to, uh, to a, a better year for 2021 than, uh, for 2020, um, on a number of fronts. Um, but hoping mostly that, that, you know, people are safe, the world is safe, um, and people can go on with their lives. No, most definitely. Well, well, Zach, um, I know you went to some top universities, uh, like Harvard, Wharton, Columbia, John Hopkins. And also I know you just mentioned, you know, you're the CEO of your own company. You also wrote your book. I mean, what was, what was 18 year old Zach like? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, hopefully 18 year old Zach was a, was a good person. Mm. Um, you know, I, I grew up in California, so um, you know, shout out to everyone in California. Uh, yeah, you know, I think 18 year old Zach wanted to help, uh, you know, impact the world in some way, right. Be able to, to give back. Um, and I've tried to, you know, throughout my career, you know, give back as best as possible. Um, there's always ways to do better, but I think that at that age, 
Um, I might not know exactly what I wanted to do, but I know that I wanted to do it well and I wanted to help change other people's lives. And so I've tried to incorporate that um, into my life as best as possible. But, um, you know, I was, I was growing up in California and, and, and looking at possibilities and opportunities in the world and, you know, wanted to go out and, and get them and be successful um, and be a good person. Yeah, I like how how you just you mentioned impact right there. I think that's super important to, to want to make that impact. Where do you think uh, where do you think that really stemmed from, uh, especially at that age? You know, I think my grandparents were were an influence. You know, they had um, uh, immigrated to this country, and one of the things that they taught me at a young age was giving back to their community. So, for example, they did uh, a great uh, charity um, community organization called Meals on Wheels. Um, uh, down in Florida. And they used to literally for about 20 or 30 years uh, each week drive around and um, deliver hot meals to families in need. And when I was young, seven, eight years old, um, they started taking me when I would go visit them. You know, we'd spend a day and we'd go um, deliver these hot meals. And um, it was very inspiring to me. And, you know, from that young age, you know, I saw people would come to this country and, um, you know, had left a lot of things behind from where they came. And they were able to to give back to the community, and I just found that to be incredible. Um, and I would see the look. I remember seeing the look on people's faces when they would just get a hot meal, and it said to me, it touched me even when I was a young age because, you know, to be able to bring that level of happiness to someone just by giving them a meal, mm. um, uh, it was you know, it, it was almost like you were making their day or making their week. And I just saw that human connection at a young age. And so that whole idea of giving back and kind of bringing happiness to other people and affecting them in a positive way um, was something my grandparents taught me. And, and they were very committed to helping their community. That was just one of the things that they did. They did a lot of other activities too. So I learned it from them. Yeah, no, that's so cool that, you know, at your childhood, the things you do at an early age definitely shape your adult life. Um, so that's cool that they were able to just take you around and, and watching someone's face when you just, like you mentioned, bring them a meal. Um, I mean, just something so small like that. You know, I, I, I ate breakfast this morning, didn't think anything of it, but you know, there's people out there that, that can't do that. So that's really cool. You're able to do that at a young age. Absolutely. It's true. Yeah. So you touched on happiness about bringing people happiness. And I know you had a Ted talk just talking about happiness in the workforce, but I know obviously researching you, you, you've worked for a lot of successful companies before you started your own. And, you know, there's the whole corporate America kind of stuffiness. I mean, how, especially when you first started out, how did you kind of maintain that happiness for yourself in the workforce like that? So I think it's hard. I think when you're starting out, you aren't necessarily focused on happiness, right? Mm -hmm. You're focused on starting your career. And I think so many people go head on into work um, wherever they're working and they just want to do they want to do good work. They want to make a good impression. They're willing to do whatever it takes. And happiness, a lot of times, takes takes a backseat um, for better or for worse. Um, I think today some of that's changing, where people are trying to, you know, incorporate more happiness in work. But it's hard, right? Like if you're if you're the if you're in an organization that's very um, structured as a tier, as a top-down organization, and there's definitely hierarchy, you know, it's hard to kind of focus on your happiness because you're putting your boss first, you're putting your team first, you're putting the company first, and, you know, where's time for Chris? And so I think a lot of people, um, you know, get in that that trap of, of kind of deferring their happiness, right? Mm -hmm. And I talk about this in The Lemonade Life. It's this like idea of deferred happiness. Um, others have written about it uh, as well, but it's this idea that we're taught by our parents, you know, you know, do well in school, get good grades, 
go to college, get a good job. And if you do all of those things and you work for 40 years, you finally get to retire. And then you get your quote unquote golden years, right? You get to play golf, you get to live in North Carolina, go down to Florida, you get to be with the grandkids, you get to travel, and then you get to be happy. Um, but the problem is like, that's a really raw deal, mm. right? I mean, what happened to the other like 40 years of happiness? You know, he graduated college, like you should, you should be happy then. And there's a lot of research that shows, um, you know, definitely you can be successful and be happy. I mean, we all know that, but there's actually scientific research that shows the opposite is true as well, that happiness is the precursor to success. And the people who can get happier now can actually be more successful because they feel a sense of internal calm, right? Internal um, self-love, internal ability to understand who they are as a person. And when they have that internal joy and they feel comfortable in their own shoes, um, that becomes the platform. That becomes the impetus to be more successful. And I think the more that we can get happiness at work, and sometimes it's dependent upon your employer and your company, but most of the times it's dependent upon you, um, you live a much more, not only a balanced life, but you live a life of more purpose and more possibility, which is really at the cornerstone of the lemonade life is this idea of purpose and possibility. Um, so I think getting more of that happiness at work as hard as it is, even particularly when you just start is really, really important um, because it will change the trajectory of your life. Yeah, no, I like, uh, and, and we'll touch on your book definitely uh, in a bit, but I like, you know, your book really talks about designing your own life, designing your dreams, you know, making happiness a top priority. Um, but But when it comes to I guess a lot of listeners out there that listen to my podcast are, are kind of just now starting out, you know, just a couple of years into the workforce or just graduated. And, you know, I'm fairly recent grad as well. Like I remember my first job was just like hustle, hustle, hustle. I put health and happiness on the back burner. So how can you kind of combine like making a solid first impression, making great things happen, but also like the happiness and health side? Cause like those are really hard for me to balance, especially when I was first starting out. Absolutely. And look, and it's, it's hard for people who are 20 years in to do it as well. Yeah. Right? It's not like it just, you know, you do it for two years, you <laughs> sacrifice. I mean, most people defer their happiness. Mm. They, they do it. It's just, it's just a fact of what happens. Um, look, the reality is, you know, you have to pay your bills, you want a career. So you are going to hustle, 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 and you are going to make that good impression. And that's where you're going to focus. Um, I think finding ways, and, I, and you brought up my TED Talk, which is a really good example, and it's called um, The Secrets to Happiness at Work. Um, and I would encourage everyone to watch it, um, not because I give it, just because it, it, it does actually walk through some very basic things that you can do no matter what level you're at um, that are a little unconventional, um, but they will actually increase your happiness at work. Um, I, I, th I think finding and practicing some of those behaviors, some of those skills, some of those perspectives are going to make you happier. Um, it's not just work-life balance. I mean, yes, you can, you can work out uh, you know, after work or go for a run, and that will help. Um, but there are a lot of ways that you can do it, everything from practicing gratitude. And these are things you can practice gratitude at work. You can practice gratitude outside of work, um, meditating, praying having a gratitude journal. I'm going to talk about a lot of ways in, in the Lemonade Life of ways that you can bring happiness into your life and still be successful at work. Um, but I think finding ways, finding outlets to really um, ground yourself and build a foundation even at a young age. So whether you're in high school, you're college, you're just starting out, um, fo focusing on your happiness more it's not just, you know, happy, you know, 
go happy, you know, feel lucky, whatever the phrase is. But um, it really gives you uh, a platform to succeed at work. So you can still have mm-hmm. that hustle and grind mentality, but you need to do it from like a, a mental health perspective as well, right? And feeling feeling good about yourself. Um, I think those things are important. They're actually complementary, and they shouldn't be seen as like, you know, your personal life's over here and your work life's over there. Because the reality is, whatever your work life is, it's going to actually come into your personal life because nobody shuts off at five o'clock, no matter right. what your company culture is. Like, you, if you're miserable at work, you cannot be happy in your personal life. And so they really are. Unfortunately, in our world today, they're interconnected for better or for worse. And so. Um, you have to be able to kind of balance those two things, but you have to do it in a way that happiness is incorporated into your life. Um, yeah. and, and happy go lucky is the phrase that I was thinking of earlier. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point you made. No matter what, what culture you're in, like, even if you leave at five, it's not like your brain's just going to switch off and you're not going to be thinking about work when you come home or anything. So it's true. Yeah. And I think your TED talk was really cool because it, it really flipped the perspective for me. You mentioned, you know, people are what worky work about 70,000 hours of their life towards their, towards work. So, I mean, why not strive to be happy during those 70,000 hours that you're working? Absolutely. So many people um, don't realize that because they don't add it up, right? They just think about the, people just mentioned the nine to five, right? Yeah. So it's like eight hours, but it's actually like 70,000 hours, um, give or take. And so 70,000 hours of your, of your life at work, you know, a lot of people spend more time at work than they do with their own family, um, let alone taking time for themselves. So if you're going to make that commitment um, and you're going to work for someone else, which is totally fine, you don't need to be an entrepreneur or have your own business. If you do, great. If you don't, that's okay too. Um, but you have to find ways to balance that. You have to find ways that you can feel better about life and feel better and incorporate more happiness and joy in your life um, because otherwise it's, it's pretty unsustainable, right? To be just deferring it for 40 years. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think you'll probably agree with this as well. If you're that person that's, that's bringing happiness, that's bringing confidence into the room, I think people are just going to kind of trust you more, especially if you're in like a sales type management position. I mean, if you're known as, hey, Zach always walks in, smile on his face, brings the confidence. I think that's kind of indirectly going to bring a lot of success into your life there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you're right. It's, it's, it, if you feel the people, if you, if you notice people in the world, the people who are um, generally happy and they have that sense of internal happiness and confidence, that's a great word that you use. Um, it tends to like, you know, it shines on other people, right? Like we, we, all of us can identify, you know, it doesn't take, it's not rocket science. Like we, you can tell if someone's happy, right? Or you can tell when someone's unhappy because the people who are, you know, the bad bosses that, that all of us have come across are people who are just not happy about themselves, right? Mm. They're not happy with their life. They're not happy with their personal life. They're frustrated um, and they take it out on other people, right? The people who are calm and confident, um, they can still be, they can still do the hustle and grind, but they're, they're happy, right? They're encouraging other people. They're mentoring other people. They want them to succeed. They're not jealous. They want them to generally succeed on their team. Um, those are the people you want to surround yourself around. Those are the companies where you want to work. The people, you know, the companies that value, they value you, right? You're not just like someone who's here for a year or two and right. they can take what they want from you. It's literally like, I want to see Chris succeed. I want Chris to be more successful than me. I want Chris to rise um, and be a leader at this company one day. Like that's the place where you want to be. Mm. Um, it's not necessarily easy to find it. We don't all have, you know, unlimited decisions and opportunities, but if you can kind of surround yourself with those types of people, we can all identify the people that are, that are generally happier than not happy. Those are the people you want to spend your time with and dedicate your energy to. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, I like, I like that you mentioned that. Cause I read a, uh, an email blog that I'm subscribed to. And the, and the guy said, uh, every person you come in contact with should leave feeling like they had the best day ever. Um, 
And it's because you're bringing that happiness and people are falling with that. And, you know, one of my friends, uh, Zach Krupp also spells it with a K. Um, so I guess, smart man. I guess the Zachs with the K are all happy. Um, but yeah, he'll <laughs> FaceTime me and just, you know, great smile on his face and instantly kind of puts me in a great mood. So I think that's so important. Absolutely. And, and I talked about in the TED talk about sharing happiness. Yeah. And I think one of the best things that you can do, whether it's with your friends um, or, or at work, is just like it, it's sharing your happiness. It's, it's giving it away to people. Um, and that may sound corny to some people. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily happy, you know, every single minute of the day, because I, I don't think that's realistic. Um, but if you can, if you're happy and you can share it with other people and lift them up in some way, going back to like creating impact, we talked about the smile on the face um, that I saw when I was younger um, through Meals on Wheels, like th- that not only makes other people feel good, but it actually makes you feel good, mm. right? And I talk about this in the book too, is like, you know, lead with kindness. When you're kind to other people, it absolutely helps them. But as the giver of kindness, it will actually help you. Yeah. Like physiologically in your body, you will feel happier by giving away your happiness, by sharing kindness with others. And that's a great way um, for to, to boost your own happiness, right? Mm. It's a selfless act that can actually um, help you be better. Um, and we see this with gratitude too. There's research that shows, you know, when we're grateful for what we have, rather than worrying about what we don't, um, we actually can increase our mood. We can increase our, our physiological composition and we feel better um, uh, not only, you know, in terms of what we feel, but actually our, our internal health and our long-term, um, our, our longevity effectively from a health perspective too, um, not only decreasing stress and anxiety, um, but actually helping with heart health and other, other mm. physiological benefits. All, all from just being grateful and everything? Absolutely. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Gratitude and happiness um, have a lot of health effects that a lot of people don't realize, um, mm. whether it's helping to reduce suicide or anxiety or stress, um, but it actually helps with heart health and um, immune function as well. Um, and so there's a lot of studies that have been done. There's one I talk about in the book, um, this concept of uh, ikigai, which is a Japanese term, um, if you've heard it before. And basically ikigai, um, there's many different translations, but it really means leading a life with purpose. And um, there have been long-term studies in Japan that folks who have an underlying purpose in their life, right? And I talk about this in The Lemonade Life. It's this purpose is really the underlying reason why you do what you do. It's the reason you get up every single morning. Um, it's the why in your life. And the people who have purpose in life actually live a longer life. I mean, think about that. It's not just, you know, people talk about, oh, have a purpose. What's your purpose? But it's more than that. It's really, it's something that actually drives you, not just have a purpose to check a box, but it drives you um, to really understand who you are and why you're doing something on a daily basis. But there's actually that health effect as well, that you can, you can live a longer life because you're working towards something. You've connected who you are as a person with an ultimate goal. And when you're fighting every day for that goal, because you're doing it for your mom or your dad or your children or to you know, help other people impact the world. Um, you, ha- you have a mission in your life and that in itself can extend your life. You can live a longer life um, by tying your life and your mission to some kind of underlying purpose. So that's that concept of Ikigai, um, which everyone should strive to incorporate in their life. Yeah. How do you spell that, by the way? That's- it's I-K-I-G-A-I. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I, I like that you mentioned, you know, your life tied to a purpose because, you know, you're going to have great days out there where you're super pumped, everything's going well, but then you're also going to have those, those bad days where it feels like the, the world's kind of stacked up against you. And I believe if you have that purpose, like you mentioned, then, then that can kind of push you through on the days that, that are uh, kind of hindering you a bit. You can always bring it back to your purpose. And, you know, a grad, I talk about this in the book, in The Lemonade Life, 
um, the idea of a gratitude journal. And it's something that, that I do every morning and I would, I would recommend maybe people have heard that before, but I'll just break it down very simply what it means. So if you don't know about it, basically you can keep it uh, a piece of paper, a notebook, and you can do it at night. I prefer to do it in the morning. Um, basically you wake up and you write down three things for which you're grateful every morning. Okay. You take about five, 10 minutes to do this. And these can be big things. It could be, you know, your family, um, or they could be little things. You know, I'm grateful that, uh, you know, I look outside my window and I see a patch of flowers. I mean, it could be a very simple thing, nature. It could be your friends. It could be your family, whatever's important to you. Write down three things. And then you spend another five or 10 minutes actually meditating on that and actually mm -hmm. thinking about it. So the physical act of writing is part one. The reflection on it is part two. And again, when you start to focus on what you have in your life, no matter how small it is, um, it gives you a sense of like, foundation and comfort and appreciation. Um, most people do the opposite, right? They focus on what they don't have. Oh, I don't have the job I want. I didn't get the promotion. I didn't get the bonus I want. I don't live in the house I want, my car, this, that, the other. Um, focus on what you have, and that's the springboard for, for getting ahead in life. Um, and then I like to pray after that. That's something mm. that I find important to me. Um, but find something in the morning. I talk about morning routines a lot in the Lemonade Life. Um, that can bring you a sense of foundation um, in your morning because it'll start your day off on the right track. And when you come to those low points that you just talked about, Chris, you know, I think you can come back to gratitude, right? Mm -hmm. Like you may have lost and whatever's worrying you, you may have some doubt about something, but again, like focusing on what you, what you have rather than what you don't is a very grounding exercise. And if you do that repeatedly, you're really going to, you're really going to start your day off on, on the right track. Um, and you can do that at, at night as well, um, but you have to remind yourself constantly of your greatness. Like I'm a big believer in that. Remind yourself of your greatness. Remind yourself of what you have rather than what mm. you don't. Yeah, no, I love that. And don't don't get hung up on things you don't have, which is a huge value add that you just dropped there. And I, I think I've gotten to the point too, because I've been doing the, the gratitude journal for, for about a year now in the morning. Um, and, and I've gotten to a point where I look at the things I'm grateful for as drivers. So for example, I, uh, I go to the gym at like 5.36. Obviously, waking up that early can be kind of a struggle sometimes. But I've gotten to the point now where I'm like, you know, some people don't have their gyms open. I'm grateful that I have my gym still open. Let's go work out while I can type of thing. So, Exactly. Exactly. I'm glad to hear you're doing that. Yeah. No. And it's, I think too, with the gratitude, like something that helped me get into the routine of it, and maybe for the listeners out there that don't do this, is set a time block in your calendar for a couple of weeks where you, you force yourself to do it every morning and that becomes part of your routine because uh, Zach, and I'm, I'd love to hear, hear your thoughts on this. I think people look at personal development as like, I'll do it, I'll do it. But like personal development takes a lot of work. Gratitude takes a lot of work. And I think you, you need to have that time blocked in your calendar to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, personal development is not an easy thing to do. People talk about it. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not a 30 day weight challenge, right? It's <laughs> yeah. not a, you know, it, this is something that like you need to incorporate literally every single day in your life. And whether you find 10 minutes to do it or 30 minutes to do it or five minutes to do it, you have to do it every day. You mm -hmm. have to do it consistently. And if you want to get good at it, um, if you want to see measurable results, you have to find time each day, whether it's reading an article you know, reading a book, um, reading a, a section in a book, listening to an audio book, learning something new, talking to someone and learning something, listening. There's so many things you can do to just work on yourself, practicing gratitude, um, spending a minute on, you know, five minutes on self-care, checking in with yourself. There's so many different things you can do to make your life better on a daily basis that don't take a lot of time or effort. Yeah, no, I agree. And last question on the TED Talk, then I would love to go more into your book. Um, 
if could you share the story of uh, of Ryan? I think you, you mentioned his name was Ryan or Brian or something. Uh, I just thought that was kind of attention grabbing. I'd love the listeners to listen to that too. Sure. So when I um, first got out of college, um, my first job there was uh, a, a good friend of mine who had just started out, um, and his, his his real name was Brian. And he, uh, you know, coming into a new company, was super excited about. Uh, his career and getting started and want to make an impression as we talked about kind of this like hustle and grind mentality and literally his first day at work, um, the boss comes in the office and gave him an assignment, you know, at five o'clock, like this is not out of a movie. Um, literally it's like literally walking out the door and said, Hey, five o'clock, I need you to get this presentation done and I need it done tomorrow morning. Uh, when I get back, you know, I need you to actually deliver it to my house at 7 AM. I mean, this was like literally out of a movie. And, and I, I, w- I had already been at the company, so I, I, I heard this because I was sitting next to him. And he's like, yeah, no problem. Absolutely. I'll get it done for you. And, you know, he thought he was going to work on it for like an hour. And when I looked at it, I was like, no, no, that's, I mean, 7 a.m. This is like, it's 5 p.m. now. I mean, you're like, okay, it's, you know, 14 hours away, but there's no way you're going to finish this. I mean, you can't get this done. I don't think the guy understands that. And so, you know, I, I you know, been, men- been mentoring him. It was like his first day. We talked, you know, a little bit. And so, you know, again, about creating impact. Um, I said, this guy is going to, this guy's going to sink if I don't help him. And so I literally stayed up with him all night and, and, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. I'm talking literally all night till 7 AM. And so we stayed at, we stayed at the office all night. Um, cause I wanted to help him. I didn't, I didn't want him to, uh, to fail. And so we stayed up all night and we, we, uh, we finished the presentation. We go to the, go to the boss's house and again, you know, my friend, you know, he's still awake, but he's still excited. It's his first day. He's going to make this big impression. He's like, oh, the boss is going to be so excited. You know, is he going to make pancakes for us? We're going to come in his house. We're going to hang out with him and his family. And I was like, no, man, like you're, you're literally going to drop the presentation on his doorstep and you're going to leave immediately. And you're going to, you know, get ready for another day of work. And he couldn't believe it. He was like, his heart sank. He's like, what? I don't understand. Like, where's the happiness? Like, mm. where's the happiness is what he said. And you know, it really goes to show is like, where is the happiness? You know, a lot of times, you know, people feel like cogs in a wheel, you know, they, they, mm-hmm. make, you know, you do all this effort at work, you work on the presentation and then like, that's kind of it. There's no celebration around it. There's no, not that you need to get an award, like, or a medal of excellence for, for just doing your job, but you know, kind of having that culture recognition, right. Again, you don't need like a whole, you know, dinner in your honor, but just to like hear your boss say, Hey, great work, great job. You know, don't just leave it on the doorstep. You don't need pancakes. You don't need like a, a ribbon, a, you know, parade, yeah. a confetti parade. But like, just to hear like, hey man, I didn't realize how much work it was. You had to stay up all night and work on this. Wow, your first day. Like, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Like, even that, that's it, when you, if you run a company or you run a business and you tell someone that works for you, like, hey, I really appreciate this. Like, this is really great work. If someone hears that, you hear that from your boss. I mean, that can stay with you for weeks, months. Mm. I mean, that creates goodwill. Um, and a lot of times there's not enough of that, right? There's kind of this distance that we create at work between the big boss and the employee. And it needs to be a lot more open and transparent where people feel connected. They feel empowered. Because again, if people are not empowered on your team, then what's the point? Like, what are they working towards? They're, they're going to be disconnected from the mission. They're disconnected from the values of the organization. They're disconnected from the goals, the client, mm. um, whatever it is. And so we need to have this kind of, um, culture of recognition, this culture of appreciation, um, where we, where we recognize people, um, for the effort they put in, if they're doing a good job. Yeah, no, I love that story too. And 
I can just imagine you guys going to the house and you know, your, your friend's so excited and you're like, no, we're not getting pancakes. There's no pancakes. There are no pancakes waiting for us. Oh man. Um, so w- within that itself, I, I know you talk about um, in your book, one of the things that I really liked was that you talked about going all in um, and, and how can people do that? I know you talked about like side hustles and sometimes it's good to go all in, but how can people kind of break that fear if they have a side hustle and they just, they need to go all in, but they're kind of scared to. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of different theories on this and you'll hear it. You'll hear it, you know, a lot of different ways. Um, you know, a lot of people have side hustles. I think that's great. You know, if you're, if you're working in your job and you have time to do a side hustle and you know, it, it's, it's, it's what you got to do and your, your company's okay with it. Um, you definitely can, can have a side hustle and that, and that can work for you, you know, totally. And a lot of people do that successfully. I think if you want to start a, a business or you're, you're going to create something, um, it may start as a side hustle and that's okay. But when you really, really, really want to build it into something, um, at some point you have to go all in. Mm. And that, as you say, can be scary because you're giving up something, right? Every decision in life is an opportunity cost, right? You're going to gain mm. something, but you're going to give up something. Mm. And I think for the most part, when you're making a decision in life, you're, you, again, this is not a little decision, but a big decision you're going to make, you have to go all in. You know, when I hear people say, oh, I have plan A, but plan B, let me say about plan B, like, I don't want to hear about plan B. It doesn't mean you can't have like, you know, some kind of security or some kind of insurance behind you. That's fine. Um, But you can't have like, you know, one foot in one door and one foot in another door, because then you're kind of telling yourself you have this way out, right? You have like, as I talk about in the book, you know, this hot meal waiting, you know, at the table. If you really want to accomplish something, if you want to really um, make it the biggest thing you can do, and I have great stories in the book about Sylvester Stallone and Tyler Perry um, Mm. about this, is like you have to go all in. Like you cannot have a plan B. It's just plan A. Plan A is what you're focused on. Because if you're willing to give up everything to accomplish plan A, um, that's where you're going to fight. You're going to fight to the death for it. Okay? It's more than hustle and grind. Um, you're going you're gonna to give everything that you possibly have to make it succeed. And if it fails, it fails. But you have to be all in mentally. You have to be all in in your actions because otherwise, like, there's always a way out and you're never going to give 150% to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Mm. That's a really good point about uh, just not having a plan B because you just mentioned, you know, if you do, you, you'll kind of have that underlying thinking. You're like, ah, oh, you know, if it doesn't work out, I have this plan B versus if you kind of cut all ties and, and your mind gets into creative mode where you have to force yourself to make it happen. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, it's not to say that like you're, you're careless or you're reckless, right. right? It's not like, you know, give up everything and just like go over plan A. That's not what I'm saying. Like if you need some sense of insurance, you need like security, mm. you know, make sure like you have the resources to do it. I mean, don't be foolish here. But the point is like, if you're going to go into something and you believe in it and, and like you have to go all in, it might be for a short period of time, but you know, don't spend 10 years trying to like, you know, build your business. If it's not working out, like you need to pivot. Um, but, but if you really want to build something, you want to do it seriously, like at some point it's going to grow like outside the scope of the side hustle, right? It's going to go bigger than that. You have to go all in and you have to be willing to take that risk and, and not look back and not have a plan B that's waiting for you with that sense of security and comfort. Yeah. I feel like it's more of like a a calculated risk than. It is. It is. And I talk about that. I mean, that's the second switch, which is risk. It's how to make better decisions. And so making those better decisions combined with going all in and getting rid of a plan B, that's what you have to do in order to win. Yeah. What, um, what advice would you have out there? So if somebody is working in an industry right now, let's just call it, um, you know, technology, but then they have a side hustle in another industry that they're not working in. Do you think that's going to hold them back because they're like kind of having to learn two industries at, at once or? 
It depends what you want to do. I mean, if you're trying to be, you know, if you're trying to make money, then it doesn't really matter, right? Like you can make money in anything. If you're Mm -hmm. trying to build a successful career in technology and you feel like it's taking away from your focus and like your learning and your growth, then maybe you shouldn't be doing that side hustle, even if it's producing income for you. It really depends what your goals are. Like if you're trying to be an entrepreneur and you're going to leave technology or you're just trying to gain your skills in technology and use it to build something else, Mm -hmm. um, it really depends what your goals are. So um, I, I think it's very situation specific, but I, you know, I'm not opposed to, to learning new industries or, or being able to switch careers or um, getting a new skill. But if you find that it's detracting from your main career, um, then you need to weigh kind of the, the costs and benefits of kind of the side hustle, right? Like money is obviously your upside, but you know, what are you giving up? What's your opportunity cost that may be detracting from your career path? Yeah, no, for sure. What, um, and you talked about this on another podcast because I, I feel like people that want to start a business are like, ah, I have to start the next, you know, Airbnb or the next Uber. And you touched on it a second ago, just about you can make money in indie, any industry. I mean, could you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? I think a lot of people want the glory of starting the next Uber or the next mm. Airbnb. And so when they try to start a business, they think of like, what's the most disruptive, innovative thing they can come up with. And some people, I, I mean, I've, I've met these people before who spend months or years trying to come up with this idea and they don't actually do anything. They're just in front of a whiteboard all day and they're, (laughs) you know, doing presentations and decks and analysis and market sizing and customer acquisition, blah, blah, blah. Um, But they don't actually do any work. And um, if you can come up with the next Airbnb, fantastic, um, particularly the way their IPO went the other day. Um, But I would, I would implore you to think about ways that you can create impact. You can improve people's lives no matter what it is. I mean, people, make money in every single industry. I mean, there are so many businesses in the world of things you've never heard of before. Um, and I talk about some of these entrepreneurs in the Lemonade Life. Um, you know, for example, the, the, the guy who invented um, the uh, like on a soda can, when you open the, when you pop the, the, the top of a can, like someone invented that, that can, uh, the, 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 the pop top, um, the aluminum pop top. And it's a small thing. You'd never think of it. Um, but he was able to uh, sell it for a lot of money. And, hmm there's little inventions that we all don't think about or industries that are not as glamorous, Um, but there are opportunities to make money. And the more you can understand supply chains and you can understand manufacturing and you can understand, um, you know, where people fall in a value chain, for example, um, you know, how customers, different types of customers, you know, not just B2C customers, but B2B customers, there's different types of businesses you can start in industries you've never imagined. And when you take the time to delve into those or learn about subsectors um, and learn about the competitive landscape, learn about who the potential customers are, where technology is trending, there are a lot more opportunities than you realize. And so mm-hmm. it's not always that you have to go after the biggest markets out there. There might be smaller markets that have fewer players um, where there's opportunities to disrupt um, or dislocate. And, you know, that those are opportunities people should be searching for as well. Yeah, no, I, lo- I love that you touched on that. I mean, so many random businesses out there. And I just got off a call with one of my friends and he's like, yeah, I've been uh, running this dental payment processing company. And what he'll do is he'll just go into mom and pop dental offices that don't know the technology and he'll process all their insurance invoices, charge a fee, and then go on to the next one. And like, it's not a sexy business model, but it makes him money and he loves doing it. So exactly. That's a perfect example. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, your, your book touched on, you know, the, the, the Warren Buffett lunch that you had. Um, and I remember you were talking about, you know, a lesson that, that you learned was that he was just happy and you, you expected just to learn all this crazy economics and finance. So can you kind of touch on the, how that lunch with uh, Warren Buffett went? Sure. So, it, yeah, it's the opening to the Lemonade Life. And um, 
uh, Business Insider just the other day, uh, which you can check out, um, uh, published the opening to the book. So there's a great, a great article in Business mm. Insider um, that came out the other day on the Lemonade Life um, that you can read. I'll give you a, a good preview of the book. Um, I don't want to give away too much of it, but I had the opportunity to have lunch with a group of folks um, out in Omaha uh, with Warren Buffett. And you think when you meet Warren Buffett, if you, if you have that amazing opportunity that you're going to discuss some of the basics of business and investing and finance and the economy. And I heard a lot of those things that day, but I actually heard a different lesson um, that stuck with me and it was about happiness and about um, finding your calling and understanding who you are as a person. A lot of the things that really inspired me to write The Lemonade Life. And it was it was kind of awe-inspiring to meet Warren Buffett um, for who he is and what he's accomplished. But it was, it was even more inspiring to hear a billionaire kind of talk about something totally different than, than being a billionaire or, mm. or in business, right? It was just talking about life and life philosophy. And I think when you hear someone that you admire kind of talking about life and talking not about business or about money, but about happiness, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And and just hearing kind of his philosophy and and being self-aware and and finding joy in what you do and making better decisions and you know you know Warren Buffett didn't didn't start his business in New York he doesn't he never worked on Wall Street I mean he did for a little bit but he he really was um, heading back home um, to Omaha Nebraska and that's where he's built his business you know he doesn't drive a fancy car he doesn't live in you know a fancy house for a billionaire he's right. living in the same house. Um, you know, for, for a long time, um, since 1950s, but, uh, you know, that type of philosophy, that type of confidence, um, that type of authenticity and vulnerability, um, really spoke to me and you can read the whole story in the lemonade life, but it's, um, it, it was very powerful to hear that story about happiness. Um, and it really got me thinking about the ways that we should be like reconstructing mm. our own philosophies about the world and about, um, my life philosophy and the life philosophy. That I think that many people can benefit from, um, which is the lemonade life. Yeah. And something cool about Warren Buffett, and I'm sure you realize this when you're hanging out with him. I mean, I've watched a lot of, uh, interviews with him. I feel like I've indirectly met him because I've sure. seen so many <laughs> and you, you know, you just watch him and he's like, he's, he just seems like he's having a great time. Um, yes. He is having awesome. a great time. That is exactly right. And you know, one of the cool things he did, um, I mean, you know, I mean, I talk about in the book, like he eats like a six-year-old, right? Like it's the way he's described it, right? I mean, he loves cheeseburgers awesome. and, um, you know, steaks and root beer floats and Diet Cokes and ice cream sundaes. And um, it's just, it's just kind of the way he is, you know, he hung out with us for, for hours taking pictures and um, just a cool guy. I mean, just a really cool guy. And as you said, like, you feel like you know him, right? Like you feel you've met him indirectly. You've seen so many things on him. Like he's just like, genuinely happy guy and 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 it's it's legit it's not it's not an act for tv like that's literally who he is you know when we were there there were no bodyguards there were no assistants mm. um you know he was driving himself wow. um it was just a very uh a very low-key personable um you know generous guy yeah i think he's uh implementing a lot of the lessons you talk about of just you know empathy and and kindness which i think is super mm-hmm. important Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, he's done that obviously through his charitable work, mm. um, <clears throat> you know, giving away uh, the bulk of his net worth. Uh, but I, yes, I leading with kindness is really, a really important skill um, that I think more people can benefit from. You know, you can still be a, you know, a superstar at work and still be successful. Um, but, but remember to be kind to people. I think that's, that's something that stays with people for a long time. People may, may forget your name. They may forget your face, but like they will remember how you treated them. And I think it's always important to, to be kind to people, no matter how high you climb in life, mm. um, is to treat people the way that you'd want to be treated. 
Yeah. Um, I, th- I think, I think that's, that's, that's not cheesy. Like, I think that's like something that we should all aspire to do. Mm, for sure. And I think like my first boss with my first job I, I had out of school, he was such a great leader because he set out in the, in the sales floor with everyone. He didn't have, you mm-hmm. know, the high corner office. Mm-hmm. And if you had a question, you could be like, Hey man, I have a question about, you know, this. And he would shut his laptop down, put his phone down and say, Hey Chris, how can I help you? No matter if you were an entry level employee or, you know, the CFO, he would put the same attention into you. That's fantastic. And I, I bet you, you will always remember him yeah. and you will always tell people about him just like you're telling me about it right now. Right. Like yeah. th- think about that. I mean, I, I, I can tell you 20 stories of people who did the exact opposite of that. Mm-hmm. I haven't forgot that either. And I, you know, like, you know, of all the things you remember in life, like you can remember those things and, and you're going to tell that story to a lot of people for years. You're always going to point back to that boss that you had. Um, because again, people remember the way that you treat them. They will always remember the way you treat them. So when you treat people kindly and you take the time to like, Chris, how can I help you? How can I answer your question? I treat you with respect, no matter what your title is. That's meaningful to people, right? And yeah. like, you're going to want to do better at that company. You're going to want to do better work for him because you trust him, you respect him, you see how he treats you. That creates a much better engaging relationship. And when we have more of those types of relationships in our lives, we're more productive. We create better work. We create better outcomes and we're mm-hmm. better people. And so that's the kind of mentality that we should be having in our work culture. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I think impacting people too, you know, I have a, a goal to impact 1 million people. And I know you have, have been impacting people for years and years and years. But I think too, it's like, if you could impact one person, just like he impacted me in that conversation, that can spur so many more impacts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. You have a podcast now. Um, you're going to in- inspire a million people and I hope many more. Um, but you know, you were inspired and you get to pass it on. Like, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful yeah, and gift. The ripple effect too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So your book talks about the, uh, the four different people I know is the, uh, eternal excusers, the steady settlers, the change chasers, and then the daring disruptors, which is my favorite one. Um, but can you go into all those four? Absolutely. So, um, every day you're choosing to lead one of two lives, right? You have the lemon life or the lemonade life. So the lemon life is the life you don't want to lead, but unfortunately most people actually live it, whether they realize it or not, you know, they don't choose to, but it's, it's where they're stuck. And so lemon life has, has three characters. And basically these characters are settling for a life that's, that's, that's worse than their, their best life, right? It's kind of this subpar life. It's built on chasing and pretending and settling. And so the first person you meet in the lemon life is an eternal excuser. And just like the name suggests, these are people who are like, they're always naysayers, right? They're always negative. They're like, life's too short. You know, I'm too old. I don't have enough money. That'll never work. You can't do that. Just like whatever you want to do, they're always shooting it down. And, you know, they create negativity around them. And just life is about excuses. They make excuses to themselves. They make excuses to other people. And they always lead with no. And if you surround yourself with this type of person, or if you are this type of person, it's impossible to make progress. Like you, by definition, you cannot lead the lemonade life because you're always convincing yourself um, that it won't work. And these are the people that you just want to run, run far away from, right? And if you're one of these people, you need to figure out, and I show you how to do this in the book, um, to change your mentality, to change your perspective, because you have to focus on opportunity and you have to focus on purpose. And that's what's at the center of the lemonade life. Um, the second person you meet in the lemon life is called a steady settler. And you've met this person as well. You know, these are people who may be doing well in their career, um, from the outside. Uh, you know, they may be just traveling that straight path. Um, but they're really living a life of dependence, not mm-hmm. independence. They're, they're keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, right? They, they're very focused on material possessions, you know, driving the car, having the house, 
you know, living in the suburbs, having two and a half kids, and they're not really focused on, on living an independent path or doing what actually makes them happy. They're doing what, what is more focused on outward appearances. So they have this like false sense of like security, this false sense of a life, and they're never really authentic. And so that's the steady settler. Uh, and then, the, you know, a third person you meet in the lemon life. And again, you've met this person too at, you know, a backyard barbecue. You can kind of think of your crazy uncle. Um, it's called a change chaser. And they're just always chasing the next opportunity, right? Like they call themselves a serial entrepreneur, but they never actually like built and sold the business. They just like keep starting businesses, you know, or they're just like, oh, okay, I got, got to get Bitcoin. Cause like I heard it's really cool when you make a lot of money, but they don't really understand digital currencies or how that works. Um, so they're always kind of like jumping to the next opportunity. Um, and, and it's not just in business, but it's like other aspects of life, right? Uh, and so they don't really, they're not really grounded. They don't actually put in the work. They just like to like chase things all the time. Mm. And so those are the people you meet in the lemon life, right? Like they're either making excuses, um, eternal excuser. They're either settling for something, um, a steady settler or keeping up with the Joneses or they're chasing something like a, like a change chaser. Um, but in the lemonade life, you meet someone who is, who is the person you actually want to be. And there are a few of these people in the world, but everyone has an opportunity to be this person. And it's called a daring disruptor. And a daring disruptor is someone who really is proactive and independent. So they kind of, they talk the talk, they walk the walk, but they're doing it on a path of independence. So they think for themselves, even if it's not the most popular opinion, they're willing to put themselves out there even if they fail. They're willing to be proactive and kind of creating new opportunities for themselves. Um, and they do it with having an underlying purpose. So they understand why they're doing what they do. And they get up every morning knowing that this is their mission in life. And they can pivot, they can change, they can be authentic, they can go a different direction. Um, but they're not worried what people are thinking about them. They're not worried about being judged. They don't care what the naysayers say. Um, they're willing to take feedback. Um, they're willing to admit, admit when they're wrong, but they're willing to kind of do it on their terms. And that's mm -hmm. what a daring disruptor is. And if you can be a daring disruptor, which everyone can, then you can walk the walk and talk the talk of the lemonade life. Yeah, I love... Uh, I I love that name too, Daring Disruptor. I mean, you just sound like a like a beast with that with that title. So <laughs> it's true. You are a beast. Yeah. And you know, you meet those four different people every day. And uh I think I think it's it's important to have that self-awareness too. I mean, maybe when you wake up in the morning and say, All right, which person was I yesterday? Which person can I be today? Absolutely. And the reality is, you know there might even be all four of these people inside of all of us, mm. right? Like at some point in your life or some point in the day, um, you've probably exhibited some aspect of one of these people. And the question is, you know, how can you be a daring disruptor? How can that be that not only the aspirational being, but how can that, how can you become a daring disruptor? And the way that you do it is, is flipping these five switches. Um, and they're just like light switches. They're five behaviors. And what I did in writing this book, not only meeting Warren Buffett, but also looking at the greatest and most successful leaders um, in the world, in business, in politics, entertainment, in sports, and um, different facets of life. And I said, you know, what are the five behaviors? What are the five characteristics that live inside all of these people? And what I did is I distilled them down to these five behaviors, these five switches that live inside all of us, not just them, but really inside of you and me. And the secret to move from the lemon life to lemonade life is the ability to flip those five switches and these five behaviors. And when you can turn all of them on, um, that's how you become a daring disruptor. And it's really about a, not only a life philosophy, but the actions that you take, the behaviors that you exhibit, the habits that you form that enable you to become a daring disruptor and lead that lemonade life. What are those uh, five? So the best way to think about it is through an acronym, which is PRISM. So it's P-R-I-S-M. And a prism is, you know, the way that daring disruptors see the world. And mm. so P is for perspective, R is for risk, 
I is for independence, S is for self-awareness, and M is for motion. Mm. And so if you can flip those five switches, that, that's really the secret to lead the lemonade life. Yeah. And I think uh, something that I love too is I was watching a video by Trevor Moad. He's the um, mentality coach for Russell Wilson and a few football coaches. And he was talking about like your behavior is what defines you, not what you, not your, your thoughts do uh, play a large role in it, but your behaviors are ultimately what's going to define your success. Absolutely. And so, you know, the first four switches are really about what you think. Mm. I mean, part of them obviously have, have aspects of, of, of action. Um, I mean, risk, for example, or, or independence, like there are you know, aspects of like action, but M is really about motion and it's really about tying them all together. Like you have to put in the work and you have to actually implement these behaviors. You can't just think them. I mean, it starts with thinking about them because it all starts with inside your mind, but until you put them in practice, um, until you, you know, raise your hand at work and speak up and give the minority opinion um, or willing to take heat for it, if you're willing to put yourself out there and fail, if you're willing to kind of pivot, um, even if it's, it looks embarrassing to you, like you have to, you have to act if you want to kind of make those, those ideas or the, the, what lives inside your mind and your mindset and your perspective come into reality. Yeah. And I think that goes back to the personal development side. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, and I used to do this too, I'd be like, ah, oh, you know, I read 30 books this year. I listened to 45 podcasts before 6am, but you know, what, what, what action are you taking? So I think it's number one to have that personal development, but then be like, all right, you know, I, I read the lemonade life. What are three things that I'm going to do different now? Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I encourage people and, um, to read the lemonade life more than once. Mm. Um, not because I wrote it and I think you should just do it, but because it, it, I really wrote it as a blueprint, as kind of a, a, a game plug, a game book, a game life plan, so to speak, um, that you can keep coming back to, you know, it's very practical, the book. And, you know, a lot of folks have, you know, read the, read the, the hardcover and then they want to listen to the audiobook because it gives them a different way to think about things or, you know, they write notes in the margins or they flag it um, so they can come back to a certain chapter or a certain idea um, that they want to kind of revisit time and time again. And so I think, I think understanding incorporating into your life because the lemonade life is not a, not a one-time thing. It's really, mm. it's not a destination. It, it's really an ongoing life plan. And so it's incorporating and reinforcing it every single day. And so the more you can revisit it, you read it again. And some people are, you know, are going to be reading it once a year. Um, or at least that's their plan um, to kind of see, Hey, what's changed as you were saying, like, what are the three things I learned? Did I actually implement those? Right. Like I talk about ways in the book that you can, um, like here's a plan for you to do, but like, how are you actually measuring yourself and looking back? Like you want to have measurable results to see if you achieved it, if you fell short, and then what can you tweak to make sure that you're incorporating it into your life? So those are some of the things that you can think about as well. Mm. Yeah. And I like being able to kind of like check yourself to see how far mm -hmm. you've gone. Cause I think people get stuck in this vicious cycle yes. and they don't feel like progress has been made. Yeah. And, and you don't, sometimes you don't know if progress has been made, right? Like, you know, you, you may like feel that you made progress. You think you made progress, but the harder work is actually to sit down and like measure yourself, right. To measure your results and to look back of like what you're doing is right. And sometimes that can be painful. It can be embarrassing because you don't want to like self-criticize, but I think the people that are willing to do that and to see where they fell short or where they could improve or where they might need to pivot. As soon as you actually do that and you self-assess, that's where like the real progress begins. Mm. So for example, doing an exercise every single day, like that may be helping you, but maybe it's not. And people just like, as you were saying, like, they just want to check the box and be like, okay, I did it. Like, I'm good. And I did it. And I did it. And I did it. It's like six months ago. I'm like, I've been doing it every day. It's like, okay, well, what's your, do you have measurable progress that you can show um, right. to yourself, not necessarily other people. And so checking in with yourself, you know, sanity, checking yourself, 
that is really going to be where the progress is made because you, you can understand what you've been doing right, but maybe you've been missing certain things. Maybe mm-hmm. you haven't. I mean, you really have to assess yourself to figure that out. Yeah. And that's a good point. I mean, if let's say you're a runner and uh, December, 2020, you run a seven minute mile and then December, 2021, you're still best time as a seven minute mile. Like, did you really improve during that time or not? Right. And what are your goals? I mean, maybe your goal is just to consistently be a seven minute mile right. runner, but, but maybe you want to improve, you know, uh, a second every month or whatever you're trying yeah. to do. So, um, you talked about this earlier in the podcast about just gratitude and, and like a solid morning routine. And I think people just wake up, open their laptop, drink a cup of coffee and start going to work. How can you set just a strong intention and, and purpose in the morning? You need, you need to be thoughtful about it and you need to actually decide, um, how you want to start your day because how you start your day is really going to set the pace for the rest of the day. And it might take a couple of tries to figure out what's right for you. And I talk about ways in the lemonade life that you can think about a morning routine. So it could be everything from exercise, you know, as you go to the gym and very early in the morning, it could be going for a run. You could do, you know, push-ups and sit-ups in your home. You can have a gratitude journal. Um, you can spend, spend, if you have a family um, that you live with, you can spend, spend time with them. Um, you can spend time with a significant other, um, and like intentional sitting together, talking, having a real conversation. Um, you can read in the morning. I mean, there's so many different things that you can do. You can pray. Things that are important to you that kind of set your, your, your mind on the right day. I think the worst thing you can do is open your laptop, grab your phone is the first thing, but most people yeah. do that, right? It's like they have to get on social media. They have to check their email. I think that's the worst thing you could do first thing in the morning, you know, take time for yourself, 30 minutes, right? 10 minutes, whatever, whatever you can, you're able to give um, before the chaos begins spend some time on yourself. And if you do that consistently every morning and some people, you know, can't do it in the mornings, so they do it the night before, but if you can do it in the morning, wake up earlier and be able to do it, I think it's just going to set yourself off on the right, right mindset for the day. So when things come and it gets challenging during the day or it gets uncertain, you can kind of always go back to what happened at 6am mm. um, or whenever you get up and just say, okay, I got to take myself there for a second. Like, what did I learn this morning? What did I reflect on? How did I feel when I was meditating? that that's where you need to be because it help, will help ground you and set the pace for the rest of the morning or the rest of the afternoon. Yeah, no, I love that. And, and, and like when something comes your way, you go back to that, that morning and, and the foundation you set there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know something that works for me really well is, I mean, you know, we live in such a noisy world where emails, notifications, calls, texts is just like after the gym, I'll sit in 10 minutes of silence sometimes. And like just doing that helps so much. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if you can get to that level that I think that's really impactful, right? A lot of people don't do that. They don't take time for themselves. I mean, it just becomes kind of this endless cycle. As you're saying, it's like you wake up, you laptop, coffee, go to work, come home. Maybe you have time for the gym. Maybe you don't eat dinner, watch TV, go to sleep. And you do that every single day. And it's like, whoa, like where did the time go? Like I didn't take time for myself. Is this the path I want to be on? You know, I talk about the idea in the book of, you know, curating your wolf pack, like the, the you know, how are you spending your time? That's a really important exercise. Like audit yourself. How do, you, how do you spend your time? A lot of people don't realize how they spend their time. Like what are the five TV shows you're watching? What are the five foods you're eating? Who are the five people you spend the most time with? Like, wh- like what are the five topics you talk about on a daily basis? And a lot of people, when they do that, and again, you could write it on a piece of paper and I show you how to do this. It's like, this is your life. This is actually what you're doing on a daily basis. You may not realize it. And when you see that, you might be like, whoa, I didn't realize I was spending all this time doing this and maybe I need to change it. Maybe you don't, maybe you're fine with what you're doing, but maybe you need to change something. And when you can kind of put that in front of you on a piece of paper, you start to reflect on it. You know, you can adjust your time by doing very simple things and it can really have impactful change in your life. Yeah. And I think if you don't, then 70,000 hours is going to go by and you're going to, it's going to go by very quickly. It's going to go by very quickly. 
Yeah. So, and I heard someone told me one time they're like, Hey, you know, every day can be kind of monotonous, which especially right now with like working from home. And this person told me it's like, try to do something new every day, just to kind of mix up the routine, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a good strategy. What, um, and, and like, so we're recording right now in 2020. Um, you know, I think this is a year where people feel stuck, whether they lost their job, you know, different States have lockdowns, you can't leave. I think it's just a year of feeling stuck. I mean, what, what are some ways people can, can begin to feel unstuck right now? So a lot of things you can do. I mean, just start by even reading a book, listening to an audiobook, listening to your podcast. I think any way that you can try to improve yourself, right? So yes, you can feel stuck in the sense of, as you're saying, lockdowns or you lose your job or you know, work's really tough or money's tight right now. Um, but there's still ways that you can win. Mm. Right. A lot of people just think like, oh, 2020, worst year ever. Like it's just a write off year. But no, I mean, there's a lot of things you can be doing right now. I mean, you can be, you can be literally educating yourself. You could be gathering knowledge and tools that you can apply now or you can apply next year. You don't have to wait for the pandemic to end. Like, don't wait for people to tell you when it's ready for you to start again. Like, you can start right now. Start a business right now. I mean, that's counterintuitive, but most people would say, how can you start a business like the worst economy ever? A lot of, smart entrepreneurs create opportunities or see opportunities in times of disruption, in times of discord, when things don't look great, right? I mean, that's where Warren Buffett has made his money, talking about Warren Buffett. It's not when everything's going great. It's when everything is not going great. Yeah. And so being able to spot opportunities of ways that you can win, you know, don't wait for society to tell you when like your life is ready to start again. Like your life is happening right now. And there's a lot of negative things in the world, a lot of turmoil right now, a lot of uncertainty. And those things are there and they're scary for a lot of people. At the same time, there's ways that you can better yourself on a daily basis. And so you have to find those things that you can do um, that, that can help you. And so whether it's starting a business, whether it's learning something new, whether it's thinking about your career and maybe you want to be switching jobs, again, counterintuitive. Like I'm not saying give up what you have right now, but like it's a good time to self-assess. Be like, you know, think about your life right now. I mean, if all the things going on right now, is this where you want to be? Like, mm. is this the job you want to be in? Is this where you want to be living? Um, you know, so many more opportunities are going to happen with remote work. People are going to think a lot more about their health. They're going to think about um, family a lot more. They're going to think about other opportunities and like weighing the meaning of life, right? A lot of people are having these existential conversations right now. And so this is a good time to really think about what you want your life to look like, right? What do you want your life to look like coming out of a, you know, once in a hundred year pandemic that's really impacted every single person in this country and across the world. And that's unique. And so I would look at it as an opportunity and, and despite all the, the bad things that have happened to kind of find the goodness in it and, and a chance for you to self audit and self reflect on what you want and then, create the path of what you want to achieve. Yeah. And I like that you touched on just go out and do something. I mean, take action. And, you know, we just touched on uh, like Airbnb's IPO. Some of the top companies were, were started in 2008 when that financial crash happens. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a meeting or a company where people talk about what they want to do, or they want to launch a new division or a new product. And they spend months and months and months planning and, you know, thinking about it. And, and there's the market and here's the market size and the analysis and the models. And here's my report and here's my presentation. And like, no one ever does anything. They just focus on like all the strategy that's going to take place. But the only time that things actually happen is, is when you do the work and you stumble and you see what works and what doesn't work. And like, put yourself out there is what I would tell people. 
like, yes, of course you need a plan somewhat. You can't just go in blind, blinded, but you can go in. Um, you don't need to spend like all this time, like strategizing for months and months and years and years and yeah, hundreds and hundreds of people. Like you can start something by yourself. You can um, learn by yourself and, but you have to execute. Like the execution is, is, is more important than, than the planning. Yeah, I agree. Um, because you can plan forever. I mean, literally you can plan forever. You know, you want to write a book, you can edit a book for 15 years. I mean, literally. Mm. Um, but you have, you have to just like take that first step to do something. Just, just like do something and you'll, you'll learn over time. You can tweak it over time. You can pivot over time. But like holding yourself back and just like planning is not going to get you anywhere. You have to yeah. show results. And we live in like such a digital age right now where there's a thing called Google where if you have a question, you can do that. Or, and then LinkedIn too. I mean, we, we connected on LinkedIn and you know, people are open to helping you out, especially fellow entrepreneurs that if you're starting out, they remember what that was like. So that, that can be a huge resource for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So what, what would you say? And I always like to ask this ender question, just your one word, Zach, really to describe kind of the, this journey and success that you've had in your life. I, I would, I would just say humble. You know, I, I appreciate everything that I've had the opportunity to do. I'm very grateful um, and full of gratitude. I don't take anything for granted. So I appreciate, you know, any, anyone that reads uh, my book, anyone that reads my Forbes column, um, you know, I've had over now 170 million readers uh, and I'm very grateful for every single one of them across the world that that's taken the time you know, out of their busy schedule or lives to read something that I wrote. Um, so I, I, I'm grateful and humbled by that, that I can uh, be led into someone's life to impact them in, in some small way. Um, so I, I've just been grateful for opportunities that I've had and, um, you know, and I, I will never change that philosophy. I, I think it's really important to have that. You know, I see a lot of people who become successful and forget that. Mm. Um, and I, I don't think that's the approach to do because as you said, you know, talking about your, your first boss, like I, I think there's always a way that you can give back to someone to help them, to inspire them, to give them a path, to show them how it's done, to take the time, to give them respect. You know, everyone's a human being at the end. And, and if you find the time to treat them with that respect, um, I think it's going to pay dividends for you. It's going to pay dividends for them. And as you said, there's going to be a ripple effect, um, which I think is really important. Yeah. I love that. I can just tell you're humble too, talking, talking like about your story and, you know, you have a lot to, to brag about, but you know, you're just humble in the approach, which I really love. Thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, well Zach, where's the place um, all the listeners can, uh, can connect with you? I know you just dropped a ton of knowledge and, you know, obviously we talked about your book a lot. So, so where can everyone learn more? Yeah. So uh, uh, Lemonade Life's available all around the world. You know, grab it at your favorite bookstore online. You can also grab it at LemonadeLifeBook.com. Um, you can connect with me all over social media uh, at Zach A. Friedman, Z-A-C-K-A-F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, TikTok, and the like. Uh, and then uh, my website also is ZachFriedman.com. So Z-A-C-K-F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. I'd love to hear from folks, um, listeners of the podcast, uh, readers, entrepreneurs. So definitely feel free to connect anytime. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, Zach, thanks again, obviously, for being on the show. I uh, thanks, really Chris. appreciate your time. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. Well, that's it, guys. Thanks again for taking the time to tune in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Be sure to check out Zach and his book, The Lemon Aid Life. It's definitely a must read. Highly recommend it. Other than that, hope everyone has an amazing week ahead. <laughs>